Now this week, I was driving in, driving down Bassey Road, and uh, I had like a panic attack because I looked on the sign out front, and it said this week's topic is Rahab, right? Rahab, that's what everybody's talking about. I thought we were supposed to talk about rehab. So that's what I made a message about, about rehab. So if you want to hear about Rahab, I'm sure Michael's got a, like a now word for you over in the sanctuary. All right, he's preaching over there right now about Rahab. But uh, actually, I got a special dispensation this week. I actually, last week, Matt Scott was here, and he was supposed to preach on Tamar, but he preached on First John. So I invoked, and you get this every once in a while, I invoked the Matt Scott exemption. So I didn't have to preach on Rahab. So anyhow, what I'm going to do, though, is uh, talk about my favorite topic, which is me. Now, I'm just going to share, share a little bit of my story, a little part of my journey, and some things that I've learned along the way to help me discern God's voice so that I can live a God-directed life rather than a self-directed life. So let's start with some scripture here. From the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 2, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. So, this is all the Bible says about Jesus' first 12, 13 years of, of life. That he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and with people. Now, by the age of 13, he was in the temple teaching the rabbis. I didn't get off to such a good start. <laughs> I didn't get off that quickly. Uh, by the age of 13, uh, I was standing around a bonfire drinking De Kuiper Slow Gin and uh, Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill Wine. Can I get an amen anywhere? Yeah, exactly. And I did that for a long time. I did that till I was 38 years old, so... I kind of decreased in wisdom and stature as time went on. But uh, it worked. It worked. You know, here's why alcoholics drink, because it works. Here's why drug addicts use drugs, because it works. Here's why overeaters eat, overeat, because it works. So we've got this hole in here that needs to be filled by something. Right? Only God can really fill that hole, but we use other things to try to fill it. You know, I walked around life with squirrels in my head and knots in my stomach. But what would untie the knots and slow the squirrels down every time? It was a drink. It worked forever. Till it quit working. Till it quit working. Couldn't take one more hangover. Couldn't take one more panic attack. Couldn't take one more day of depression laying on the couch. Just I couldn't take it anymore. My way wasn't working. Now, most guys can, particularly in our culture, can maybe relate to this, that my thought was, and I was successful in business and still had my marriage and still had my house and my cars and my cats. I'd never stole a freight train, hadn't had a DWI, but I'd kind of lost my mind. And I thought up to that point that whatever the problem is in life, here's what you do. Here's how it gets fixed. You either figure it out or you hire somebody, right? Whatever the life's problem is. But you know what? That just didn't work in, in my case. I hired a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a pharmacist 
right, to try to straighten me out and solve my problem. That, that didn't work. I'd read health, self-help books until I passed out drunk, right? And that, that, that didn't work. So I eventually ended up in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's where my journey started, July 24th, 1999. And uh, I discovered there that in order to recover, something else needed to be happening. Because you've probably heard this before, a problem cannot be solved by the mind that created it. That something outside was going to have to solve my problem. Another thing that, that we say in recovery is this. You can't fix the crap in your head with the crap in your head. We don't use the word crap usually. We use something a little more graphic. But uh, you just can't. You can't fix the stuff in your head with the stuff in your head. So in order to recover, I needed to have a spiritual awakening. I needed to develop conscious contact with God. I needed the mind of Christ. I didn't know how to gin that up in myself, though. I didn't know how to figure out how to do that, and I couldn't hire anybody to show me how to do that. What I had to do was just surrender and give up and say, I need help and ask somebody. I needed to learn how to live one day at a time without drinking. Fortunately, in recovery, there's people there that are willing to help. And it's not people that got an advanced degree in something so they can help you. It's not people who read about how to help you in a book or in seminary. It's people who have actually experienced the problem and have a solution. They understand the problem from first-hand experience, and they understand the solution from first-hand experience. People that have made conscious contact with God. People who live in relationship with God. People who have the mind of Christ. And their lives depend on sharing that message with the newcomer. I say my name's Chris, I'm an alcoholic. Not necessarily because I need to tell myself that. I already know that. I say that so that the new person coming in can have somebody to relate to. And realize that there's people who understand Rob Bell says that sometimes the greatest sermon you can give is, I understand. I understand. So I found a guy who understood and uh, asked him to be my sponsor, spiritual advisor. Something we do in recovery. It's kind of a model of Christian discipleship, I think, uh, where we would like to be in the church, where you ask somebody to be your spiritual guide and, and lead you. So I did that. I asked a guy, Ben C. He had 12 years sober at the time. Lives in Austin. To this day, I talk to him all the time. I talk to him on my way over here. And uh, he was a kind of he's kind of a Coach Popovich kind of guy. You know, he can be real gruff and uh, real demanding on the outside, but on the inside, he's a teddy bear. He's a, and he's full of the love of God. He's also the wisest guy wise in terms of godly wisdom that I've ever met, still is to this day. So we started, and I came to realize, and he told me, that think, my thinking was my problem. That's where we started with. I needed somebody to help direct my thinking, that I needed somebody to teach me how to pray, that I needed somebody to teach me how to meditate, that I needed a way to discern whether I'm hearing God's voice or not. Then that way, I could be in a position where I could accept this free gift of grace that God, through Jesus, offers the Holy Spirit who helps us all discern all things and gives us all wisdom. But first, my thinking needed some straightening out. So, 
He drilled, been drilled the one day at a time thing into me. Right? That's all we've got today. Jesus says it in Matthew 6. He says, worry not about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have difficulties. You know, today's difficulties are enough for today. Right? In James it talks about, well, oh, you might say that, you know, tomorrow we're going to go to town and make some money. You, know, you fools, right? You might pray that God lets you live. <laughs> that tomorrow you might go and, you know, do something good. That's the Chris paraphrase, by the way. Anyway, this one day at a time, it's important. I, I, I came in and I said, you know, Ben, I, I don't think I can quit drinking forever. And he says, well, can you do it for 24 hours? I said, well, yeah, but not in a row. <laughs> he said, well, don't worry about it. Why don't we do this? Let's go to a meeting and let's see if you can not drink for an hour. We'll just start there, okay? I said, all right, yeah, we'll do that. So I learned one day at a time from him that way. Also this, I, you know, I told him, you know, Ben, I'm concentrating on doing the next right thing. He said, well, you know, that's great. So, Chris, for guys like you and me, that's projecting too far into the future. Why don't you work on doing the right thing right now? Then we'll see what happens, all right? That works best for guys like you and me. So, he also said this. He said, Chris, if you have a really good idea, do me and do yourself a favor." Don't implement it. <laughs> Tell me, but don't implement it. Tell me because I care and I've got a good sense of humor. But for God's sakes, don't implement it, all right? <laughs> so I did. Anytime I'd have a brilliant idea, you know, Ben, I think what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to sell my company. I'm going to do this, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go... I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to learn how to be a chemical dependency counselor. That way, I can professionally, I can really help people. Ben said, "Well, you know, Chris, I know about five thousand guys who tried that same thing. Didn't work out for any of them. But maybe you can pull it off, right? Of course, he, he knew best. He knew best that I should just stay on the path that I was at on right at that moment. I was getting sobriety for myself, recovery for myself, develop, developing a, a relationship with God for myself. So I needed somebody to do my thinking for me in the beginning and." He was perfectly qualified. He told me what meetings to go to, what to read, when to go to bed, how to talk to my wife without irritating her any more than she already was. He did my thinking for me, and it really helped. I told him it seemed like I was getting brainwashed. And he said, well, your brain needs a good washing. He was right. Because it turns out, you know, if you get into recovery, and the studies show this, and it depend, doesn't matter what it's from, right? Whatever the chemical, whatever the behavior even. Because they all become physical addictions. I mean, even people that are sex addicts, for instance, uh, I mean, it just it, it gets in them. Their brain chemistry changes. And you know you're addicted to something if when you stop, you go through withdrawal. But what happens is, particularly with alcohol and drugs and, and, and even process addictions to the behaviors, is that it takes two years for cognitive brain function to get back to baseline, they found. So it takes a while. I hated hearing that the first two years I was in recovery, right? But it turned out it's true. It's true. It takes a while. So it's good to have people who care and have a good sense of humor. Well, I have one. So... Next, he started me on my prayer life journey. At first, it was just asking God, first thing in the morning, to please keep me sane and sober, and then thanking him at night for another good day of sobriety, even if the day was bad. 
That's where I started. Then it was pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Make your request known to God. Pray about everything. Conscious contact. That's what I was after. What he was advising me to do. He said, Chris, first thing in the morning, make conscious contact with God. Even if your prayer is just God. Just first when you wake up, first thing you do when you open your eyes. Make conscious contact with God. He said, guys like you and me can screw it up between the bed and the bathroom. So it's a pretty good idea to get on the God train starting right away. So I did that, and I started my prayer journey and my prayer life. He was real adamant about it. I was playing in a bar band, <clears throat> Jackie and the Tees. You may have seen us at the Make My Day Lounge and Drug Distribution Center. I guess none of you ever went there. Anyhow, uh, I played in a bar band. Even after I sobered up, I was still playing in the bar band. I played guitar. And uh, one night we were playing this place, Shenanigans, on the northwest side. It's not there anymore. It was a particularly heinous evening. And uh, I just I can't do this anymore. I, I drove home and I said, you know what? If, if this is going to drive me back to drink. I, I, I cannot do this. I can't be part of this whole world anymore. can't be part of this scene. You know, my playgrounds and playmates have to change. I just, it's, it's dark. I, I just can't be part of this. It's, it's not good for me. And so I kind of decided that, I, you know, that was it. But then I realized, you know, I, I need a musical outlet. I, I need to play. I've played, you know, since I was 12. So I need to play. What am I going to do? So the next morning I woke up, it was a Sunday morning, and I called Ben. I said, Ben, I can't do this bar band thing anymore. I said, but I need a musical outlet. What, what do I do? And he said, well, have you prayed? I said, no. Ben? Ben? He, oh, I guess I lost my connection with him there. So I called back. Ben, it's Chris. Uh, we lost connection. Have you prayed? I said, well, no, click. Oh, I got it. Okay, now I understand. All right. God, would you please give me a musical outlet? Amen. So I call him back. Okay, Ben, I prayed. I said, All right, good. When God has something for you, you'll know. Goodbye. And that was the extent of the conversation. I mean, I need more information here. All right? Well, that morning, I go to this church on the north side, Eagle's Nest, and I love the band. The music there was just awesome. It's where I met Michelle. In fact, she sang in the choir there. And uh, I've known Michelle for a long time and her husband, Larry. In fact, what I was thinking during worship, just a little aside here, is uh, as a musician, sometimes it's difficult for me in praise and worship situations. Uh, I hear too much. I hear everything, right? And... Uh, what's happening up there, and I think about the sound, and, and it's just, I really have to focus on the worship. But here today, and this happens here, so I, we are so blessed to have who we have up here, I was just enveloped by the music, by the worship. It reminded me of, in 2009, the three of us and some other people were at Hillsong Conference, this time of year, in fact. The Hillsong Conference starts this week. We're in Sydney, Australia, at the Hillsong Conference, and if you've ever been in an arena where there's 25,000 people, 25, people praising and worshiping God, 
with Jar- Darlene Check and Hillsong on the platform, you know what it means to be enveloped in the presence of God. It's like you're in the middle of a marshmallow. I mean, it's tangible and you can feel it, you know? That's what I felt during worship here today and uh, from this band. And uh, Larry and I went to an Australian rules football game when we were there. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen that game, but oh my God, it's crazy. They wear no pads and they kill each other. And it's the one where when they score a goal, the referee goes like this. Y- y'all ever seen that? I like it. So I've become a freak for that, and I subscribe to it on the Internet, and I watch it all the time. And, uh, but we went to a game. It was awesome. Anyhow, I digress. And uh, it was so nice to, you know, the ministry she does is just so needed and so wonderful, and just such fruit comes from it. So after the service, if you can visit with them in the library, I know that they would appreciate it. You'd be blessed by it. Anyhow, all right, that, that'll do it. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. No, no, no. I've got more here, I'm sure. Anyhow, so that morning, I went to Eagle's Nest, and the band is playing, and I love the band, and I've asked God to give me a musical outlet. So we're in worship. I sit down, and then I open up the bulletin, and it says, Praise and Worship Team Needs Guitar Player. Auditions on Wednesday. I thought, oh, Ben is a genius. Oh, Ben is in direct contact with the spirit of the universe. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. And I did, and I became a contemporary Christian praise and worship artist that day. Quit the bar band, and that was it. Joined the band, and, you know, now the church is stuck with me, right? So anyhow, that's where I started to learn the power of prayer. I started to learn that whatever you ask in Jesus' name when God is, will be granted will be granted to you. I started moving away from having Ben do all my thinking for me, being able to talk to God, to pray, and have Him to communicate with me. Show me things through circumstances, through His Word, and next through direct revelation. King Solomon was a guy, he had a lot of wisdom already. He had a lot of earthly wisdom. He had mentors. His father, King David. Probably prophets hanging around, telling him what's going on. He had Torah. I'm sure he had advisors. But what he needed was discernment. He needed wisdom and discernment. So God said this to him, and here's what he asked for. Here's the next slide. It's out of 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom and discernment. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom and discernment in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame, 
No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commandments, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. It's from 1 Kings chapter 3. Praise be to God. Thank you for your word. Did you all come out because you thought I was done? Okay, we're not done. You can go back in there and, and hibernate. All right? No, go back, go back in there and rehearse the song for later. Thank you. Uh, threw him a curveball there, didn't I? You know, so what I did was I prayed that prayer. I asked, Ben took me to this scripture, and he said it was time for you to pursue spiritual discernment. You know, it's enough to ask wise people for things. It's not quite enough. What you need to do to advance and to continue on this journey is ask God for spiritual discernment. So I did. I asked God, I prayed, God, would you please grant me wisdom and discernment? And it seems like I've only heard the right things and been pointed in the right direction and to the right people since I prayed that prayer. All the guys that influenced me in recovery were Christian guys. They're the guys who encouraged me to start the Pioneer Group, and we kind of did it together 14 years ago. And uh, they're the guys who told me what to read. They're the guys who, you know, I've just been pointed in the right direction. And then the Spirit of God comes and tells me, like, where to go and what to do. And it just seems like it's the right places. I, I remember where I was standing the first time in 2004 when I just heard, okay, go to Australia, go to the Hillsong Conference. I was standing in a ladies' Bible study playing my guitar, and that just, like, came to me. And so I did, and as a result of that, the good news of that, I knew I couldn't be on an airplane for 15 hours without smoking, so I quit smoking, and that was, that was 10 years ago. Uh, so after praying that prayer, that's a powerful prayer, God, grant me wisdom and discernment. I need the mind of Christ, and God... We'll grant it to us if we ask. So counting on others to do my thinking was fine at first, but long-term permanent contented recovery and long-term contented life depended on me establishing and developing a one-on-one relationship with God. In the 12 steps, we have an 11th step, which says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So in the morning, I practice that 11th step. I ask God to direct my thoughts and my actions, especially divorcing me from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Please show me throughout the day what my next step is to be and give me whatever I need to take care of such problems. Show me what I can do for the man who's still sick. Then I intercede on behalf of some people. Ask for some specific things. And then I do this. I get quiet. Start to meditate. And at first I use the process that Ben taught me, where I would test the thoughts that came. I did this for quite a while. Sometimes I'll do it now and then still. Now it's become like a part of my mind. It's become a working part of my mind. I kind of rely on this testing method. And I can, this is the way I've come to learn how to discern God's voice. What I would do is this I would put a blank piece of paper out with a pen, 
And I'd say, all right, God, just speak to me. And I would listen. You know, I'd gone through the process of talking to God. Now it's time to listen to God. Some say that praying is talking to God and meditation is listening to God. So I'm listening. And then whatever comes to mind, I would write down. And I do write down. I write it down. I would turn off the edit button. And anything that came, I'd write down. Take out the garbage. All right. Send my wife flowers at the office. Write it down. Put the cat in the microwave. Write it down. (laughs) Then, uh, Then what I would do is test it. I would test it to see if what was coming was my self-will or God's will. And here's the method I learned right here. And a test for self-will is what I'm thinking, or what I'm thinking God's saying to me, is it rooted in resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, or fear? Or is it rooted in honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity? First column, the test for self-will, that's all throughout our program. We take inventories of that. Kind of the theology of recovery is that uh, sobriety is here for us. The grace of God is available. What we do, though, we block ourselves off from it. And so what the 12 steps do is gives us a path to clear away the wreckage that opens us up to the sunlight of the Spirit. It opens us up to God. It opens us up to the free gift of grace so that we can receive it. And so what we've found, or what they found, is that common manifestations of self include this. Resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear. So we take inventories. You know, who we're mad at. What we're afraid of. Where we've been selfish. <clears throat> we ask ourselves why we have that. And we ask God to remove whatever it is. Direct our attention to what he'd have us be. And we confess it to somebody. And we ask God to take away our character defects. And we make amends if we've harmed anybody. And just continue to live that way. What happens slowly, slowly, we grow in wisdom and stature. And we start living in this reality of a loving God. It has this free gift of grace available for all. For all. So we do that throughout our program, is continue to watch for these things. Now, the forerunner to AA was something called the Oxford Movement which started in the early 20th century, and it was a first-century Christian organization that uh, some of our steps come from, even. And the guys that started AA uh, were affiliated with the Oxford group, and they tested everything. And uh, instead instead of looking at things from the negative point of view, what's blocking us off from God, they looked at things in more of a Sermon on the Mount way, and, and which is the honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity. Things that we should strive for. The way, what kingdom living looks like. Where are we absolutely honest, absolutely unselfish, absolutely loving, and absolutely pure. And that's the test for God's will. If I'm living that way, if what's coming to mind is in that column, the thing to do is this, is to obey and do it. Then I'll find out. That's my will or God's will. Usually that works out pretty good. So, take out the garbage. Unselfish. Buy wife flowers. That's loving. 
Also smart, right? Put the cat in the microwave. Right? Yeah, that's just stupid, right? That's just stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so by doing these things, I learn, you know, and James, it talks about don't be merely listeners to the world word so you deceive yourself. Do what it says. That's sort of key. I'll tell you one more story. Do you have time for that? One more story? If you don't, you can leave. That's all right. But I was practicing this way of life and uh, kind of practicing this method. And we're, we, went to the, we were at the bowling alley, my wife and I. We're on a bowling team. There are country lanes up there in San Pedro. And my wife was happy because that night there was only going to be, one of our team members wasn't going to be there. So we were going to be three instead of four bowlers. That way we would get done quicker and she could get home and watch Project Runway or something. I don't know, go, to, <laughs> go shopping or something. Anyhow, so she was happy. And so we were, there, we're putting our shoes on, you know, before bowling. And then I hear over the loudspeaker, attention league bowlers. There is a substitute who would like to bowl. Please come to the front desk if you could bowl on your team. And so while I'm doing this, I, I hear, I don't know if it's the audible voice of the Lord, but I hear in my head, in my heart, wherever, in my spirit, I hear, go ask that man to bowl. I think, oh, geez, all right. Okay, is that resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid? Well, I'd be afraid that my wife's going to be mad. All right, so, and that's self-will, so I'll leave that alone. Okay, honest, unselfish, loving, pure. Well, it'd be unselfish, and that'd be, you know, the loving thing to do. Yeah, unselfish. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So I finish tying my shoe, and I stand up, and I start walking over for the, to the desk. She said, where are you going? I said, honey, I've heard a word from the Lord. I'm going to go ask that man to bowl. So I asked the man to bowl, and he's thrilled. He comes to bowl with us. In the very first game that this substitute bowled on our team, our team, the new Alley Cats. The very first game, the man bowled a 300 game. The man bowled a perfect game, all strikes, 13 strikes. Perfect, 300. First one he ever bowled in his life. Now, what gets lost in this story is that I bowled a 269 that game, which was my highest game ever, right? And no one ever remembers that. They just remember the 300 game. What's funny about 300 games, I don't know if you've ever been around when somebody bowls one, but, uh, you know, you get about to the sixth frame and he's bowled all strikes, and you start thinking, wow, man, he's really got it going. But you don't say anything because you might jinx him, right? You, you do not. Nobody says anything about it to anybody. Except somehow everybody in the bowling alley finds out about it, right? And they all show up. They all converge on that lane for the tenth frame to watch him. And so that happened. Everybody showed up. His wife showed up, and she wasn't even there. You know, she just showed up. And, uh, and then he bowls, you know, he strikes out in the third frame, or in the tenth frame, and the place explodes. It's like he won the Olympic gold medal. I mean, it was just awesome. Right? Now, that one game, with my 269 included, was the highest grosser net game for that league for the whole year. When they did the payout at the end of the year, we paid for all 37 weeks of bowling with our payout from that one game. How about that? So I once again said, God, Ben is such a genius. He taught me to pray. He taught me to meditate. He taught me to listen. He taught me how to discern God's voice. And then it's perfection. A 300 game. Just awesome. I know that's a goofy story, but it really did illustrate something to me. 
and it taught me that, you know what, this is just kind of a way to discern God's voice and then to act upon it. And only good comes from that. Only good comes from that. The good news is this, and I'll, I'll close with this. We're going to do one more scripture. As followers of Jesus, there's a reality that we can awaken to. And here it is on the screen. This comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. Let's be a people who are looking for the Holy Spirit. I think we are. As followers of Jesus, we're looking for him. He's here in us. Are we awake? Are we awake? I hope I am now. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I am. I don't have to count on Ben anymore to do my thinking for me. I don't have to rely on my own understanding of what God's saying. I also have this Holy Spirit in me who just tells me, yeah, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And you do too. You do too. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for this sanctuary. Thank you for the leadership here. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us and around us and with us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. So we have some.